Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's June, and that means school is out, beach traffic is bad, and the start of hurricane season. Officially, we went on Stormwatch on June the 1st, and we'll be ready to consult our hurricane resource of choice through the end of November. Chatham County's Hurricane Point Woman, Chelsea Sawyer with the Chatham Emergency Management Agency, or SEMA, is our guest on the June 11th episode of the Difference Makers Podcast. digital team at savannahnow.com this is difference makers a podcast featuring interview with savannah's community leaders about what they do how they do it and why i'm adam van brimmer opinion editor and host of the difference makers and its sister podcast the commute joining me for this episode is sema's charismatic outreach and volunteer coordinator chelsea sawyer over the next 45 minutes or so sawyer takes us inside the world of hurricane preparedness breaks down evacuation protocol and reminisces about her days as a competitive cheerleader. Yes, this is an educational and fun conversation. With that, here's the interview with Difference Maker Chelsea Sawyer. Joined on the latest Difference Makers podcast episode by Chelsea Sawyer with the Chatham Emergency Management Agency. She is the Outreach and Volunteer Coordinator, which means uh, her boss, Dennis Jones, is the director of SEMA, but it's the guy that is, he's kind of, down in the trenches and coordinating everything and chelsea has the good fortune or the misfortune depending on which way you look at it as being the the front person and the person that tries to make sure that all of us in the community are prepared aware and everything else involving hurricanes and i thought today actually we were taping this on june the first first day of hurricane season and there's no better time to to start thinking about it than right now it's we were commenting as we came in the building that it's good that it's a quiet start to the hurricane season because that's better than the alternative we don't have any storms brewing or or blowing our direction at least not yet and that's always a good thing but first chelsea thanks for coming in and uh, as we usually start this we start with some biographical information so can you kind of tell us uh, tell us a little bit about yourself are you are you local well, so I moved here by way of Virginia. So I'm a Virginia Tech graduate. Okay. So I was fortunate enough to get my undergrad and graduate school degrees from Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. And my husband and I moved down here. Actually, we were still dating. I followed him down and said, all right, let's try to make a future in Savannah. Right. So we have, we've been here for a little bit over five years now. Okay. So growing up in Virginia, what were, so, what were your interests? What did you do? Was any of it related to weather? With oh weather oh my goodness (laughs) I did not have the slightest clue I went off to college fully expecting to get a degree in biochemistry okay so how I ended up in weather is is a totally different and random story Mm -hmm. and how I ended up in emergency management Um, you know ended up at Virginia Tech like I said and I found that political science and sociology and the study of how people do what they do is really what brought me to emergency management. When mm-hmm. you think about 
you know, studying why people choose to evacuate or why people prepare versus don't prepare is really what was kind of fascinating to me. So I ended up getting my master's in public administration and policy with a focus in local government, having this idea that maybe I would get into some type of emergency management, some type of understanding why people do what they do in relation to government and emergency management. And what got you off the biochemistry, the bio and the chemistry part? Is it just too much science? Oh, my goodness. So I (laughs) thought that high school science was real-life science, Mm -hmm. and that was not the case for me. And I had just these aspirations to be a doctor, and I feel like everybody has aspirations to be a doctor at some point in their life. And it took until college to realize that was not a thing for me. Right. The doctor as a, as a little girl, did you have doctors in the family? Did you have somebody you really looked up to in medicine or what, what kind of spurred that interest? Initially? Yeah, so I was actually really sick as a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had uh, some heart problems and some real challenges growing mm-hmm. up and mm-hmm. I wanted to give back in that way okay. and realize that I could give back in that way in a in a different kind of form. So I, I help out at camps for kids with cancer and help mm-hmm. out with other different organizations that help give me that piece of my life to Mm -hmm. feel like I'm progressing forward in that way Mm -hmm. and then found a totally different passion for what I wanted to do for a living. Right. Did the heart conditions limit you in other areas? Did you play sports, play music, act, study? What As a kid, what was really your passions? I was an awesome competition cheerleader. And that that was a passion for me. I started cheering when I was in the third grade. And I know I'm in good company in city of Savannah and Chatham County because that is very popular here. It's very exciting. So I have an 18 month old daughter and I'm counting down the days. She can start at a gym with mommy and me classes at two years. And I'm like, yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm almost there. We've seen the reality shows around some of those. Though, hey, so. hey, 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 hey. <laughs> she is going to be awesome, and I'm not going to be a cheer mom or a dance mom, <laughs> kind of, maybe. I could be. Who knows? Right. You never know. Right. Your mom and dad, what were they? What kind of influence were they on, on you? Were they blue collar, white collar? Yeah, so my parents were military. Okay. So I say I grew up in Virginia, but I was born in California, lived in Maine for a while. My dad served 20 years in the United States Navy. My mom served four years in the United States Navy, and that's where they met. And, you know, my dad retired when I was in the fourth grade. So I, I really made home in Virginia at that point. And he went over to work at NASA. Okay. Oh, yeah. Down there's a, there's a, uh, what's it? Wallops. Wallops Island. Island. I knew Island. I was going to blow it, but I had the W hey, right. that was close. That was really yeah, close. Be proud good. of that. Yeah, Wallops <laughs> Island. So he ran security over there and worked his way up to become a federal agent. My mom worked at a couple of different jobs, but you know, what she ended up retiring from was the Office of Social Security. Okay. So pretty much a blue-collar family that right. worked hard for everything that they have and really instilled that a college education was important and that I needed to go off and find what made me happy. Mm-hmm. They were never they never had the idea that I would stay in one place and and come live next door to them. The idea was that I would go off and make my own path like they did. Most military families are military brats. Uh, this one's a big deal. Was Absolutely. it in your house as well? Absolutely. Uh, my dad, my brother used to always like to say that in the military my dad was an interrogator. 
And that's kind of what it felt like <laughs> growing up. Like you did not want to disappoint. You did not want to run into a situation where you would be caught in a lie. Because my dad would figure it out. He'd so I was. It out of you. Yeah, I was a good kid. Yeah. I didn't try a whole lot because my dad was. He was going to find out eventually. I got my first speeding ticket when I was a senior in high school. And I don't know why, but my dad went home a different way that day, and he ended up right behind me. And he was in his in his car, and he's like, Chelsea, like, what in the world? I was like, I don't know, Dad. It's going too fast. <laughs> Maybe he had some kind of military technology He must tracking. have something. I have no idea. I was like, how in the world would you have found out that I got a speeding ticket before I even left you know, for being pulled over. Right. What are the chances? Well, in Virginia, they have the Law of Asylum, but they also have like Camp Perry, where the CIA trains their interrogators, and Quantico, <laughs> where the FBI uh, does all their thing. And you never know. Maybe yeah. he had some kind of secret thing going on that you didn't know about. Oh, my goodness. Maybe it's like a meet the parents kind of thing. And he <laughs> just pretended to be all of these things. But yeah. He was really an FBI agent or a CIA agent. Yeah, I think I read too much, uh, too many thrillers, but uh, thanks. You for listen to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> yeah, maybe some of that too. But uh, um, You mentioned the cheer part, uh, competitive cheer in, in high school. Could you, did, were you on the sidelines at the games when you were, when you were cheering or were you purely the competition side? Oh, I was, I was a little bit of both. So I didn't, we didn't have, I grew up in a really small community and honestly, we we're just pretty poor community. Mm-hmm. I grew up in the middle of a cornfield. Mm-hmm. You know, so we didn't have this competitive cheer like what we have here in Savannah. So I got my start in cheerleading. You guys are going to laugh at this when you hear it. But they drew names out of a hat in our elementary school, and we were the cheerleaders for our state standardized testing. So we would cheer. They called them standards of learning or SOLs. Mm -hmm. Leave that as it will. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we would cheer (laughs) for the the students to take their standardized test. And that's how I got my start in cheerleading. How'd they do? Oh, you know what? Our school did really well those the years that I was a part of it. You know, I didn't think about that. There's no coincidence. Yeah. It was definitely (laughs) my sit-stand stunt that we did. That's really what did it. (laughs) But that's that's what started it all in, in the third grade. And then I went through middle school and high school and was on the competition team, and we did really well. Was it was there, a lot of fun. Was there an interest in doing that when you went to Virginia Tech? Oh, so you had to be a, you had to be a lot better than, yeah. you know, <laughs> our competitions on the eastern shore of Virginia. Right. But it was it was something fun to think about. I, mm-hmm. And I thought about it for all about five seconds. And then I realized that you had to be the one thrown in the air and realized uh, that was not me living my best life. That's right. That's right. You start to get the you start to get the guys involved and you become the. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the prop for a, a lack of a better term. <laughs> yeah. Kind of scary. At Virginia Tech, you said you, you found all of these interests between the political science and, 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 and all the rest. Mercy management, did it come in to play during your undergrad, or was that something that, that you just gradually kind of, as you kind of meandered, that's where you landed? Yeah, so I think it's just kind of where I ended up landing. Mm-hmm. So I, I started dating my now husband, so he's my boyfriend at the time, and he just wanted to be this psychologist. And then he sat down with my dad and listened to all the experience that he had and realized that emergency management was kind of a cool career field and might be something that he should look into. So my husband actually started working at the Virginia Tech Office of Emergency Management. Mm -hmm. And that kind of opened up our eyes to all these different 
options. You know, there was a, a girl there that worked in graphic design and handled all of their communications and created all of this content. And I was like, wow, that's a really cool job, something that I'd never thought of before. And it kind of stayed on the back burner for a while. We moved down here and I didn't quite know exactly what I wanted to do or how I was going to make it how I was going to make my public administration degree work and bring in this sociology and political science and started my career here with the American Red Cross. Mm-hmm. And then this opportunity at SEMA opened and I had someone reach out to me and say, this is, this is a good fit for you. You're managing the volunteer program, which is what I was doing at the Red Cross, but then it's this whole other side. And when I start interviewed for this job, the, director Dennis said Chelsea I think you'd be a really awesome fit but I'm concerned you'd be really focused on only the volunteer program what's your passion what's your interest in communications and I said well there's a lot more to this than you know what I have on my application and talked about the sociology and the political science and my interest and he was like all right he's like "I, I think we'll give you a shot and he's like well tell me why we should hire you and I said Dennis I like to call it Chelsea Flair and he just laughed and he's like what in the world I said you know whatever I do I'm going to give it 110% and right. that that is in fact the Chelsea Flair and I'm going to give it my all right. and he tells me he tells that story all the time and laughs at me all the time but it's true I, I try to bring my own perspective and try to bring my own spice into anything that I do and with that I know that you've you, you kind of have built on the communication side, not from scratch, but you, you have put your own kind of turn on it and tried to kind of make it match the, the times that we're living in. Can you kind of talk about some of the things you've focused on the last five years to, to, to try to connect or engage more with, with the audience? Yeah, so I think Public. that we, I came in at a really weird time, not only for SEMA, but for Chatham County as a whole. You know, it had been 30 years since we'd had any storm and I come in and I start three weeks before Hurricane Matthew. So right after Hermine comes in in 2016 and right as Tropical Storm Julia, which we don't talk about a lot, right. that, was a, that was a storm that hit us as well. Right as she was coming in, uh, it, was, it was such a weird time. And, and I came in and said, there's so much that needs to be communicated. You know, mm-hmm. we've had this, this conversation for the last 30 years that, hurricanes don't come here there's nothing that happens in our community there's no need to worry about it so I had to completely shift people's mindsets of yeah well we've had this that's happened but this isn't the worst that could happen and we need to start thinking about what is going to happen next what could be this next thing so the the whole first year was this you know, talking to people about FEMA assistance and trying to help individuals recover and and trying to communicate to the people that were affected by Matthew while still respecting that they are going through an extremely difficult time. But the people that weren't affected by Matthew that now have this sense of false insecure I think false security of you know it's again it's not going to happen here but something could so it was a whole different type of conversation to have with them so you're having to find ways that you can reach the two polarizing communities within within Chatham County it was insane so a lot of our outreach efforts have to be two or three fold 
it's saying the same type of messages in different ways to package it so that it makes sense to each of the different types of people that we have within our community. And at that point, you're not pulling on experience. Where are you, where are you pulling from? Are you, are you on the phone with people in other hurricane areas or where are you kind of drawing your, your inspiration and in, in, in picking the brains of, of people? Where are they at? Yeah, so emergency management as a whole is all about how you can take what other people have done and what other people have been successful with and make it work for your community. So that's a lot of the stuff that we were doing was some of it I was kind of just pulling with the limited experience that I had, but gosh, I was all over government social media, which is the only social media organization for for government agencies. So I'm constantly on their Facebook page saying like, how in the world do you communicate this? Trying to Mm -hmm. find other EMAs and even just government entities that talk about hurricanes, that try to message to communities. There was a lot of research that went into it. A lot of just fact finding of how do you communicate this and how do you explain these hazards? I think it was 2017, I realized, hey, I don't know enough about hurricanes. Mm -hmm. I need to be trained in this. Mm -hmm. You know, again, Virginia, I was on the coast of Virginia growing up, but I never even thought about a hurricane. They kind of hit North Carolina and bounced. Yeah, Yeah. and it it wasn't just, it wasn't something that was on my radar. Mm -hmm. And so I, I needed that experience. So I actually had a really amazing opportunity to go down to the National Hurricane Center and learn from them this is how we put out our forecast. This is what this means. That's when I fully started standing on my soapbox about the cone of uncertainty and mm-hmm. what it means and what it doesn't mean. And that's so important. It's, it's so important to understand and to know what these tools are meant to be for so that you can explain them to our residents. Mm-hmm. So I feel like you talked about how SEMA's outreach campaigns have transformed, and they have. I, they're a lot more scientific now because I know the science behind what makes a hurricane form, why this is important, and why people need to pay attention to the right sources at the right time. We interrupt this Difference Makers interview with Chatham Emergency Management Agency's Chelsea Sawyer to tell you about the Difference Makers presenting sponsor and a real difference maker in our community, the Savannah Economic Development Authority. You may have seen recently where a highly respected trade journal named the Savannah area the number one locale for economic development in the country among like-sized markets. And that was before Amazon decided to come here and before the Bryan County megasite was created. That standing is a credit to the folks at CETA who have and are pushing to make Savannah a great place to work and live. CETA is committed to creating, growing, and attracting jobs and investment in the Savannah region. Learn more about the Savannah Economic Development Authority and what they do in the Savannah community by visiting CETA.org. Now back to the discussion with Chelsea Sawyer. This time of year, do you do you look at the radar and see what's coming off the coast of Africa every day? Or are you, in other words, have you become a complete hurricane nerd or no? I think it's it's finding a, a fine line. Um, you know, I, I've realized that there's some things that you can control and some things that you can't. I can control that I, I do look at the National Hurricane Center on a daily basis, but I don't panic when I, when I see something coming mm-hmm. because I want to know more. Mm-hmm. So, yes, am I a nerd? Yes. 
<laughs> Short answer. You know the El Ninos and the I'm sorry, the La Ninos and El Ninos. You're tracking all that. You know what kind of effect it has. Yeah, to an extent, yeah. um, I'm still not. I mean, I'm certainly not a scientist. I do right. not work for the National Weather Service, <laughs> and nor will I claim that I do. But I do understand some of the different pieces that that go into it. Right. I want to back you up just a little bit on SEMA. Is most people when they hear SEMA, they think of hurricanes. Yep. Uh, you know, when when a hurricane is not coming off the coast of Africa, but coming through the Caribbean and at us, people all of a sudden, oh yeah, I know about SEMA. What don't we know about SEMA beyond you know getting us ready and riding out hurricanes? What all does the agency do? Yeah. So emergency management is such a fascinating field because. It's all about consequence management, and it's all about making sure that the right people are doing the right thing at the right time. Mm-hmm. So we're really about communicating to the public. We're about making sure that government agencies are all playing in the sandbox together and communicating with one another. So if we need something, let's say there's a fire. I mean, gosh, we've seen our our fair share of fires or plane crashes or anything anything emergency related, SEMA can play a role in that, making sure that you know we have enough ambulances here and fire trucks here and, and coordinating. And that's really what emergency management is about. It's coordinating and consequence management. So there's a lot that goes into it. It's not just hurricanes. It's not just natural disasters. It's also man-made disasters. We've got an entire Homeland Security division that's been rolled out in the last year and a half, and that's a whole new can of worms for our agency as well. Mm. I know to a certain extent it can be a little bit like herding cats, too, because you have all these different agencies and all, and lack of, lack of a better way to put it, all these egos that come into the, come into the mix. How much of a challenge is that for, for all of you at SEMA, or is everybody pretty much Hey, we're kind of all in this together. We're gonna we all, all get together and pull the pull the same direction when push comes to shove. I think that Chatham County is a pretty amazing community, and I think that we all know what we do well and what we need help in. And mm-hmm. I think that the municipalities that make up Chatham County are really fantastic at that, mm-hmm. and they recognize, hey, we're gonna need help from this from this department because we know that that's not our strong suit. And we've got a powerhouse in the city of Savannah. There's a lot of resources that are within that government. So being able to utilize those resources to help the rest of the community, and honestly, up and down the southeast coast of Georgia, is really beneficial. Mm -hmm. Coordinating all that, of course, it's not without its hiccups. I know a couple of years ago, there was a lot of talk about getting people to the civic center, they don't have transportation out of town, getting to the civic center, getting them out of town or housing them at the civic center. I know there was a lot of people that we ended up having to house just because they waited. They, they didn't think it was coming. I, I can't remember. I think we're probably talking about Irma here maybe, mm-hmm. but they, you know, they didn't think it was coming. And then all of a sudden, Oh shoot, it's coming. And I got, I got nowhere to go. How is it just, you all have to be very, you have to be proactive, but you also have to be really good at, at reacting as well. Is that a fair way to put it? Absolutely. So emergency management as a whole, your your job is to plan and try to think of all the different things that can happen. So you want to be extremely proactive, mm-hmm. but to be a successful emergency manager, you have to be just as good at being reactive mm-hmm. because things are never going to go exactly the way that you planned. 
you bring up the emergency or the evacuation assembly area or the EAA at the Civic Center. We communicate constantly. This is how you do it. This is the way that it works. This is how it's going to work. And then no one shows up or you have Mm -hmm. a minimal amount of people that show up at the beginning and then a surge at the end that you maybe didn't anticipate, which is exactly what you're talking about. Irma was this touch and go for so long of what's going to happen. It's cat three heading directly for Chatham County. It's shifting out towards Atlanta. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a tough call. Dorian was the same way. Mm-hmm. It was this touch and go. Remember Dorian was a storm in 2019 that stalled over the Bahamas for a solid right. 24 hour oh, period. Yeah. Devastated. Yeah. So you think, I mean, we're, we're planning everything when it, when it comes to an evacuation is based on how many hours out are we from tropical storm force winds. Mm -hmm. Well, when it stalls over top of one area, that throws off your entire evacuation timeline because Mm -hmm. you have to make decisions based on how fast the storm is moving and when you're gonna see impacts here. Mm -hmm. Well, for it to just suddenly stop, that throws out everything. Mm -hmm. So you think of, now you're shifting of how you're gonna do this. Are you still evacuating people? Is that necessary or Yes, very much necessary, but how? Where do we push people? Irma was the same way. Mm-hmm. I mean, gosh, we're, we're evacuating people to Augusta. That's where we evacuated people at that time. But now you've got a storm that's that's tracking that way. Yeah, it might go inland right off the river, right? You know, what, what do you do at that point? It's mm-hmm. all about how you can be reactive. Now it's having conversations with the Red Cross and with these different partner agencies of where can we send people that's going to keep them safe. So in your five years, uh, as you mentioned earlier, we went all these years without it being an issue. In your five years, we've seen a lot of activity. You obviously have done a lot to educate yourself. How do you? Where do you feel you are now versus when you started? Is it night and day? Oh my gosh, yes, absolutely. So first of all, a disclaimer, Dennis took over as director just a couple months before I started, so we mm-hmm. blame him for all of okay. this. Yeah. It's not my fault. I'm um, yeah, make sure that's noted. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding, Dennis, I'm sorry. Um, no, but yeah, I mean, the amount of change that our agency has seen, that our community has seen, is just absolutely night and day. Mm-hmm. It's, it's incredible to think about the person me walking into this job at SEMA and the person that I am now, I feel like I probably wouldn't even recognize myself. Yeah, yeah it was uh, certainly education under fire. For yes. Sure. Before we move off of this, I, I do want to talk about last year was potentially really rough just because of the pandemic and social distancing and, and all of that. When you were preparing last year, how much did you have to alter all of your your plans last year and and quite frankly how fortunate are we that they never had to be implemented oh my gosh i my heart just aches for the state of louisiana mm-hmm. who had to implement all of those different things i mean back to back storms in in 2020 is just any emergency manager's worst nightmare but mm-hmm. then on top of covid mm-hmm. is just awful so we're extremely grateful that we did not have to implement any of those things but planning for a 2020 hurricane season was something to behold for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've got to think 
planning for the evacuation assembly area, we had to implement masks and social distancing. So the physical center had to change how we were going to operate inside of it. And then the amount of people that you can put on buses. So instead of having, let's say, 20 buses that we were going to use, now you're looking at 40 because you can only have half capacity on those buses. And then once you're getting them to their evacuation destination, your number of shelters right potentially doubled or even quadrupled because of the way that red cross had set their standards and we had to abide by them mm-hmm. so it, it it's very difficult to plan for any type of natural or man-made disaster when you're also dealing with a global health pandemic it is absolutely insane something tells me all of that file is has been collated and put away in a very safe spot because there's always a chance you'll need it again. You won't. You don't want to have to redo it all. Right? Oh my gosh! I hope that it's something that we never have to relive. But I think that the after actions and this, these files that you're talking about is definitely something that's going to be beneficial to to go back and, and think about. And to me, as a, as an individual, it's always fascinating. I love to go back and think about what we could do differently, what could be done better. And I think that that's how we continue to grow as people, but also as an agency, as a community. Mm -hmm. You know, how could we respond differently if given the opportunity again? Again, you are listening to a conversation with Seamus Chelsea Sawyer. While she takes a short break, I have a call to action for you. Subscribe to savannahnow.com. Our website is the best place to keep up with community news, sports, and yes, opinion makers. And right now you can get six months access for $6. I'm no mathematician, but that works out to a dollar a month. I didn't even have to use my smartphone calculator for that one. It's a pretty good deal. Go to savannahnow.com or download our app and see our product for yourself. Then hit the subscribe button to get full access. Now back to the Difference Makers interview. Let's go ahead and transition and talk about 2021 hurricane season and um, preparedness. But let's start. June 1st is, I mean, it's an arbitrary date. You know, let's let's go ahead and say that up front. It's not like they couldn't come before then, and it, it's not like all of a sudden get ready because it's definitely coming. It's an arbitrary date. But why June 1st, and how do you start to ramp up the education efforts and the outreach efforts and, and ultimately the volunteer efforts as well as as we get past Memorial Day. Yeah, so one thing you, you mentioned, June 1st is this arbitrary date. It's absolutely correct. They're actually looking at potentially changing hurricane season. I've heard that, yeah. You know, for the last several years, I think over the last four or five years, we've had named storms in the Atlantic Ocean prior to hurricane season so they actually it was like four or five yeah because i think that's what everybody was panicking last year with the pandemic and all of a sudden we got five before june 1st right yes it was it was as i said 2020 was something to behold for sure (laughs) but you know they started issuing tropical weather outlooks beginning may 15th this year Mm -hmm. and this idea is that maybe they would look at expanding hurricane season now what 15 days would really do i don't know but it's something to to know that you're absolutely correct is that this June 1st date is very arbitrary. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to start, it's going to happen on June the 2nd. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so what we do to start ramping up outreach, 
gosh, in COVID, it, it got to be honest, it's it's still tough. We're we're in this intermediary period of do we do things in person? Do mm-hmm. we do things via Zoom? Is, mm-hmm. Are people zoomed out after right. you know fifteen months of let's hang out via Zoom? Mm-hmm. So we're still trying to find some ways that we can communicate to the best of our ability and that some of it's doing things just like this and joining podcasts, doing media interviews, posting on social media, trying to get attention, any presentations that are happening. If there's an organization that wants us to come out and present, we are desperate. We would love to come out and help. Mm-hmm. We just want to get out of the office at this point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we just we just want to engage. So some of it is is that, you know, in, in hurricane season past, we've been partnering with the Home, uh, not Home Depot and the Office of Insurance Commission to put together this Home Depot Hurricane Expo is essentially what we've called it for the last 25 years. Mm-hmm. And this year we're doing something a little different. It's not until the end of June, but we're calling it the Big Hurricane Bucket Giveaway. Mm-hmm. We're giving out 1,500 emergency kits that are just s- stacked full of all kinds of emergency supplies. So that's how we ramp up that's how we start these outreach activities our community is incredibly resilient for the most part they know that hurricane season starts on june the first but it's getting them to find the motivation to find that one extra piece of time to devote to creating their emergency kits and doing their emergency plans and your experience is just hearing that from you and others enough to get them or does they have to see a storm coming well I think it depends on the person. Okay. Um, we like to say there's multiple types of people when it comes to hurricane season preparedness. There are some that are very religious about it, and mm. every May they dust off their their mm. kits and they get everything ready and they start thinking about their plans. And then you've got some people that are like, oh man, they got to see Chelsea on the news or Dennis <laughs> on the news to mm. really think. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I should probably start getting ready for that. Right. And then you've got people that have food that had expired three years right. ago, right. <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, ah, it's fine, it's fine." Mm-hmm. And I think that it takes all kinds to make the world go round. Mm-hmm. But we really try to convince people, even if it's just a conversation with their family, mm-hmm. yeah, even if it's nothing more than that. Right now, at the beginning of hurricane season. Mm-hmm. Start talking about it. You know, I sat down. I know I'm a giant nerd. We've already discussed this. But I sat down with my family over the weekend. We were all together because vaccinations are awesome. And Mm -hmm. we were able to get together for Memorial Day. And we sat down as a family and said, okay, let's talk about our hurricane plan for this year. You know, I have have a small child. My husband and I work in emergency management. Right. Evacuations are not a thing in my house, but they have to be for my child. So we start talking about, all right, well, what grandparents going to do this? And how are we going to make this work for our family? I get it. My family's not like everyone else's. (laughs) But there's still a plan that has to be made for every person in Chatham County. You cannot wait until the last minute to start having these conversations because it's going to be too little too late at that point. We talk, you mentioned plans and kits. So let's let's get into the PSA part of this. What's in that plan? What's in that kit? Yes. So let's talk about plans first. So your emergency plan. Think about, we already said, everybody is different. Think about when you are going to evacuate. Mm-hmm. 
everyone has a breaking point. Everyone has a point. There's the person that hears the term hurricane or tropical system. They have already packed their bags and they're in Atlanta. They didn't. They do not have time for that. Yeah, because they're thinking of traffic. But that's yeah, exactly. They're thinking of traffic, <laughs> or they just like have yeah, zero interest in being around for it. You've got people that have to see Dennis on the news and they have to hear this term mandatory evacuation order before they leave. Some people have to think about it a little bit more and they want to hear a certain category storm. I don't, honestly, I don't care what it is for your household. Know what it is. Have that safe word. Have the word that you guys are going to say of, look, this is our breaking point. We're out of here. We're going. Everybody has it. So figure out what that is. Let's make sure that you know where you're going to go. You know, if you've got pets, that's a huge consideration that you have to think about. I think it's like 67% of all U.S. households have a pet. You guys, that's a, that's a really large number. So if you are going to go stay at a family member's house, make sure that your pet can come along with him. Have a conversation with that family member. If you're going to look at hotels... You better have a a plan A, B, C, D, all the way through Z from these hotels because they book up. Mm -hmm. The Southeast is beautiful. People want to come here. There could be a wedding. There could be a conference. There could be something happening in all of these hotels in Atlanta, in Macon, wherever you want to go. Have a backup plan. Take a look at the website, bringfido.com. It's an awesome website. It's pretty adorable. You type in your destination and it tells you every hotel, restaurant, amusement park, any place you can bring your pet. That's important for you to know about. So all of those things come into consideration when you talk about making your plan. It doesn't have to be this huge formal document that you type up and, you know, create a table of contents. It can be whatever works for your family, but have those conversations. And it's all about communication. Last thing I'll say with that is how you're going to stay informed. Mm -hmm. In this day and age, it is so important for you to have a way to get timely and i'm going to say it as loudly as i can accurate information because if your information is four days old you're looking at a totally different storm than we are now and if you are looking at some of these facebook meteorologists that have never studied any sort of meteorology in their life and are now telling people what to do or who to listen to or not to listen to you guys really have to pay attention it, you have to know that the person that you're listening to and putting essentially your life in is a, is a smart enough person to help you make correct decisions. Right. So that's all about how you make your plan. Making your kit is can be as complicated as you want it to be. I get a lot of questions of, can I just go to XYZ box store or this site to buy a pre-made kit? Sure, you could if you enjoy eating cardboard. Right. Um, what I highly suggest is creating an emergency kit that fits your family. You know, my emergency kit now looks very different than it did last year. Last year, I had a six-month-old during hurricane season. Now my child eats more than I do. So I have to adjust those things. Try to eat the food that's in your emergency kit. Don't just grab random things like anchovies off of the off of the <laughs> counter. What's if, left? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you wait until the last minute to create these kits to create these emergency supplies, there's not going to be anything left. So start thinking about what you can put in your kit. Now it's not just food. 
It's water, it's general emergency supplies, medication. You guys, if 2020 has taught you anything, it's to expect the unexpected and that things are gonna fly off the shelves for no right. apparent reason. Paper. Yeah. And we have no idea why or what's coming next. So if there are things that you know you need on a consistent basis, if you know your child is obsessed with animal crackers and you are likely to run out of animal crackers and have a full toddler meltdown, I don't know that from experience. <laughs> Doesn't sound like it. Yeah. Make sure that you have extras of those if it's financially possible for you. Add a pack every time you go to the grocery store. An extra dollar a trip may not break you, but it's going to help give you a sense of normalcy during a disaster situation. So plans, kits, staying informed, those are my, my big three. All right. During the storm. And we can talk about folks that are evacuated. We can also talk about some people who decide not to evacuate. What do we need to know during the storm? Sure. So I think we, let, let's say a storm's heading our way. And I'm going to knock like on every piece of wood that we have here. <laughs> um, but a storm's heading our way. First thing, when it comes to evacuations, you need to know your zone. You don't need to be heading out if you live in evacuation zone C and they call for an evacuation of zone A, that's that's not necessarily your time to panic and leave. Right. Um, they may not call for an evacuation of zone C. Pay attention to what's happening in your community before jumping or making these big decisions. Have a plan, but in general, just be ready for it because it, it may not happen. Mm -hmm. It depends on the storm. So that's one piece of advice. Other things that are happening, if you do evacuate, Find a way to stay informed. The media stations where you are may not be covering it the way that media stations would here. Take a look, social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, even TikTok these days is gonna help you stay informed of what's going on within your community. Find ways to stay engaged with what you've got going on and what's happening in our community. Because what's important to us may not necessarily be what's important in Tennessee, if that's where you end up. Right. So those to people that have evacuated, also just pack your patience. Depending mm -hmm. on the storm. Don't rush to get back in. Exactly. Yeah. If you rush and you try to get back in and we're still doing assessments of our community, you're going to sit. And I would much rather you sit in a hotel room or in a safe environment than sitting on the side of the road. Mm -hmm. Because when the state of Georgia took over reentry in 2018, it's a totally different ballgame than it was the last time that we did evacuations, a, a large-scale evacuation for Irma in, in 2017. Mm -hmm. It's a different situation. Mm -hmm. So please keep that in mind. The state of Georgia took over reentry. It's a five-stage reentry process, and residents aren't able to come back in until phase four. So if you are part of a critical workforce team, you can come in at phase three, but you have to have the proper paperwork. You have to be able to say that you work in this area and you need to return to go to work. Your family can't come with you. Mm -hmm. So pack your patience if you've evacuated. Know that you've made a good decision. You're staying safe and you're, you've survived this storm. And that's really the, the most important piece. Mm -hmm. What about those that, that buck the system? That, or, or maybe there's not a mandatory evacuation, but that, that it, there, there's a voluntary evacuation and, and there's people that, that don't leave. That obviously, they need to know they need to have 
propane and gasoline and plywood and water and yeah. batteries and yeah let's let's dissect that just a little bit yeah. there um in the state of georgia the term voluntary evacuation does not exist anymore uh, okay. that is a that is a new thing so when you said it my ears perked and i was like "Ooh, <laughs> wait a second uh you will not hear it because when you hear the term voluntary yeah. that gives the uh, impression yeah. that it's not ah, you don't have to it's okay right. that's not necessarily true you know, if there's any type of an evacuation order, that means there's a threat to life and property. People need to evacuate that target area. So let's say, I mean, there there could be people that buck the system. We, we know that. Mm-hmm. That's a common thing. We've seen residents of Tybee that say they have zero interest in leaving. Mm-hmm. To me, that's, that's a little terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, me too. You know, I, I think that if there is, you guys have to think about how expensive Expensive. And I know not everything's about money, but when you're talking about a government agency, a lot of it is about money, too. Um, it's expensive to call for an evacuation order, mm-hmm. and they don't do it haphazardly. Mm-hmm. They're going to they're gonna wait until they have the information to realize that they need to save life and they need to save property, and they're going to move people out of that target area. So when there's an evacuation order, we should... Gosh, it's just so important for people to heed that. But to your question, if people don't, there's a few things that I need people to understand. One, when we reach sustained tropical storm force winds, it is too dangerous for us to put emergency vehicles out on the road. So even if you you stay there and something happens, you have a heart attack, you fall down the stairs, you know, you have, you decide last minute that this is terrifying and you don't know what to do. A tree falls on your home. 911 is not going to be able to help you. Mm-hmm. They can't send police out there. They can't send fire out there. There's, there's nothing that they can do because it's too dangerous for them to put a first responder's life on the line to go help somebody that did not heed an evacuation order Mm -hmm. so that's something that you have to keep in mind there's there's going to be a time and tropical storm force winds is 39 mile per hour or higher right um and it's sustained so just because there's gusts they they would they're going to do their best to try to help but there's there comes a time where life safety takes precedence and they're going to have to pull first responders from those roads so if you're staying for the first time maybe in your life you are truly going to be on your own, and you have to think about the consequences that come with that. So if you choose to stay, we already mentioned it, propane, you're going to need to find a way to make sure that you can sustain yourself. If that's going to be purchasing a generator and making sure that you know how to operate that generator, do not catch me. Do not let me catch someone trying to operate a generator with their garage door closed Close. and then have fumes and then end up killing themselves or suffocating or having some challenges because they don't understand how to operate the, that piece of equipment. That device, right. For the love of everything, do not do that. If you mm. somehow survive a storm that comes during an evacuation order and then die from a generator, that would just be a horrible story. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, one other thing that, that I, I've heard, um, and I think each policy is different, but there's some life insurance policies that will void your policy entirely if you do not evacuate in a mandatory evacuation. So if, if that's something that concerns you, I mean, there are probably people that live in our community that have 
great life insurance policies. How would you feel if you left your family nothing because you decided to risk it and stay for a mandatory evacuation? To me, that's just not worth it. Afterwards, we already talked about getting back in and and returning, but, and and I know some of this is probably, it depends on George Power and, Mm -hmm. and some of the other things that go on, but what do people need to know about uh, returning from the storm, clean up. It's, I think it's pack your patience again would probably be a good way to put it, right? Yeah, yeah. Again, so pack your patience. Make sure that you know how to stay informed of what's going on in our community, mm-hmm. recognizing that some areas may be accessible and some areas may not. So we mm-hmm. may let some parts of Pooler or Port Wentworth or maybe Georgetown and, you know, other areas, Artsley Park, may not be open yet because mm-hmm. of it takes longer to get in and assess. So you're right, that goes back to... GDOT, Georgia Department of Transportation, Georgia Power, what's going on in those municipalities to understand, you know, how we're going to be able to bring people back in. We're not going to let people come back in until there are life-sustaining abilities here. So if we don't have hospitals up and running, fat chance people are going to be coming back in. Mm -hmm. Because if there's something that happens, we're there's no point Mm -hmm. there's no and there's no way that we can help them here um if we and we may not necessarily have electricity recognize that when you come back into the county we're going to try to have grocery stores gas stations and hospitals but that's that might be the extent of Mm -hmm. what you've got Uh, there there may not be a lot available i know that people want to get back in and assess their property and understand what's going on but recognize that we have to look at the the whole picture and not just one individual property. Um, But yeah, I think ultimately it comes back to pack pack your patience and be ready for almost anything. Mm -hmm. Talk to your insurance agent, say, hey, we've had a storm. But again, pack your patience with them too. You know, a lot of people, yeah. That's a lot of claims to happen in one specific area. You know, this kind of brings me back to something to maybe do before the storm and that's look at your insurance policy and understand it bring that with you because during or right after matthew some of the phone calls that we were getting is i have a twenty five thousand dollar deductible because there's a named storm right so much wind right yeah so so much wind or there's a named storm or there's there's too many um file or claims that have been filed in this area so now they have this deductible that goes into effect make sure that you read those insurance policies with a fine-tooth comb if you guys have questions about your insurance policy the office of insurance and fire commissioner that's what they're there for they're there to help you understand you know what is happening and and how to understand those policies to make sure that there's not something fraudulent that's happening within those policies I know a big theme is is staying informed. So let's uh, SEMA.org. We'll, we'll plug SavannahNow.com. Uh, I know that there is a, um, a registry for for people that maybe do not have a way to get out of town. Can you kind of talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that we learned several years ago is that there are some people that do not have the ability to evacuate themselves. And it could be for a variety of reasons. One of them is that they have a functional access or medical need that prohibits them from, you know, they can't sit in a car for an extended period of time. They're on dialysis. They have, 
you know, some of them are on bed rest or they're cancer patients. There's something called the Hurricane Registry for those with functional access or medical needs. It's a very long name, but it's run by the Coastal Health District. Mm-hmm. And that's the Chatham County Health, Health Department is part of that Coastal Health District. And they have a registry of these residents all across the eight coastal counties. Chatham County, I think we have about 130 people that are on that list right now, but they are given free transportation. If they have a functional or access need, they're taken to an inland county shelter that will help people manage their activities of daily living in that shelter. They're encouraged to have a caretaker with them, but they're going to be able to provide them resources and and support and assistance in that environment. If they have a medical need, they'll actually be placed in an inland county medical facility. So if they're on bed rest or they need, you know, if they need assistance with toileting or any of challenges that they may have, people know, you know, what they need a little bit more than I can just articulate here. Right. But calling this, it's a one eight three three number. It's one eight three three CHD registry. Now that is way too many numbers, mm-hmm. but it will take you to the right place. Right. Um, and you can also check out ChathamEmergency.org to find the rest of that information. But that's so important. Register for that. Contact the health department. Find out if you qualify to be on that registry, and then you will be evacuated. There's no concern. Your emergency plan would be call this number, they're gonna help me get taken care of. I need to have my caretaker with me and that's your emergency plan. That's gonna help you get out of this area during a hurricane evacuation. Okay, that's, that's really good to know. So before we let you go, pull back the curtain for us. A storm is coming in. What is, what is a day in the life or a couple of days in the life with a hurricane approaching and hitting for you all? Wow. So if we anticipate a storm, you know, coming in, there's a, we call it the hurricane response timeline, and we operate in what's called operating conditions. And each operating condition has its own specific phrase that's associated with it. So welcome. We are in operating condition five right now. We will operate in that condition for the next six months unless we have an active threat. Okay. The next stage is OPCON 4, or Operating Condition 4, and that's our enhanced monitoring phase. So likely if we have a storm about 120 hours out from the onset of tropical storm forest winds, we're hitting OPCON 4. If you hear OPCON 4, don't panic. That just means that we have extra staff devoted to monitoring that storm, to understanding what's going on in the tropics, and understand what's happening in our community. Next stage, OPCON 3. At that point, it's a little bit more serious. We're starting to move things, not necessarily people, but we're staging resources. So we're gonna move maybe our trailers to the evacuation assembly area. We're gonna start hosting conference calls. We're gonna start getting ready for what may be the next phase. So OpCon 3 is really when we're focusing on what that next step is going to look like. OpCon 2 is when we start moving people. So between OpCon 2 and 3 is when we're going to be looking at those early evacuees, really Mm -hmm. those that have functional access, medical needs, those that are specialty populations. Maybe we start having conversations with our universities and our school systems. So between OpCon 2 and 3, that's when we're going to start moving those people. So OpCon 2 is when your mandatory evacuation orders would come in. You're starting to move those people. OpCon 1 
that's really 24 hours out. Everybody should be gone at that point. We should have clearance of our roads, clearance of everything. If you're gone and you're evacuating, you're already gone. If you're staying, you need to prepare for the impacts because we're buttoning everything up and we're getting ready for any of those final things. I gotta be honest, right now, you know, in the facilities that we're in, if we're looking at a category three or higher, SEMA, we're also evacuating. We're gonna we're gonna close down that to that 36 hour mark, and then we're moving our things out too. We always evacuate our our residents out, and then we move ourselves out to make sure that we're clearing the area to the best of our ability. But a day in the life is managing all of those different operating conditions and helping people understand at what point what is happening, and it's a whole lot of chaos. Right. Let's say you're in an operation center and people are working the phones and, and you, of course, are doing press conferences or social media or conference calls or, or what have you. Is it is that a pretty fair look at it? Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, you've got to think of all of the different people that need to be informed of what's going on because they have to make decisions. So we're in contact with a port and we're in contact with a Coast Guard and we're talking with long-term care facilities and we're talking with the school systems and all the different businesses and organizations and nonprofit and faith-based organizations that have to make these decisions for themselves. So they need to understand what's going on because if they don't know what to do, then they don't know to let their staff go or they don't need to, they don't know to have these conversations with their staff and with their families of what they need to be doing to be that much more prepared. And of course, by then, by then, by the time that happens, you all, it's it's you're going by a playbook. Can you kind of talk about the training that the ongoing training that goes on, not just in the run up to hurricane season, but throughout the year? How how many do you drill? Do you do classes? What is all it all is involved in the training? Yeah. So Dennis always likes to say that we are a very small office with a very large responsibility, mm-hmm. and it's extremely true. Right now, there are 10 full-time staff members. We have two AmeriCorps VISTA that volunteers in service to America. So there's 12 in total that work in our in our office. And that's not a lot of people to coordinate all of these different things that are happening. But it's just enough people to be able to have your hands in just a little bit of everything. Right. So some of it is, is communication and understanding what one division of our agency is doing while the other is doing something else. We do these drills. You mentioned drills. Uh, we call them thunder chickens. Uh, it's the most <laughs> ridiculous term. Um, Dennis went off to a training with FEMA and the the National Hurricane Liaison Team, and they did these rounds of drills, and they called them thunderbolts. Well, that wasn't going to work for us because we have a municipality right. called Thunderbolt. <laughs> so he came up with thunder chicken, and uh-huh. it's awesome but also terrifying because these (laughs) drills are meant to be you know we are hit all of a sudden with this hurricane or this storm everybody needs to respond as if they would respond so we have mock systems that we've set up fake facebook's fake rave alerts which is our sema alert uh, protocol system Um, but we've got fake versions of all of these so that we can do all of this messaging we can be prepared and we can think about all the different pieces that come into play and we can test out all of these systems Mm -hmm. so lots of drills that are happening lots of training that goes into it we've got a full-time training and exercise coordinator because not only is it our office but 
10 people right. can't yes. manage all of this. Police it's all about fire. yeah, everybody else. Police, fire, hospitals, mm -hmm. you've got uh, mass care and sheltering, all of these different, I mean, could you imagine if we had to coordinate the emergency operations center and run a shelter and have hospital staff, you know, ready to go and have fire and search and rescue and all of these pieces, we can't do it alone. Mm -hmm. It's all about consequence management and coordination, mm -hmm. which is what we talked about earlier, which is the, the crutch of, a, of emergency management. So it's coordinating with all of those different agencies to make sure that they're prepared because them being prepared and resilient therefore makes the entire county that way right well count me among those that hope that all your planning and preparation goes for not yes because that means we won't have one and that's always a good year around here when we don't have one but thanks so much for taking the time and i've been butchering it it's not sema.org it's chathamemergency.org that's correct yeah. so everybody that look for that site and especially when you start to hear about some storm coming this way that's where you need to go and by that time you'll be seeing and hearing a lot from chelsea anyway but chelsea thanks so much for coming in it's always good to visit with you thank you for having me and if you guys have any questions give us a call head to our website we're here for you That's all for this episode of Difference Makers. Thanks to Chatham Emergency Management Agency's Chelsea Sawyer for being our latest Difference Maker. Thanks also to our presenting sponsor, the Savannah Economic Development Authority. Tap into the Difference Makers archives anytime on your favorite podcast app to hear interviews with more of Savannah's community leaders, such as Savannah Police Chief Roy Minter, MPC Executive Director Melanie Wilson, and Bishop Stephen Parks of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Savannah. Difference Makers is a production of the Savannah Morning News and SavannahNow.com. On behalf of myself and producer Zach Dennis, thank you for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.